This is Radical Learning Talks with Sari Gonzalez and Becca Koritz. In today's episode, we chat with Chame Morales-James, former teacher turned unschooling mama, founder of My Reflection Matters Village, and a social liberation and equity coach. Chame shares her liberation and healing journey through unschooling and how de-schooling is decolonization work. We talk about why the system doesn't work, the importance of relationship and community in de-schooling, and how we can reimagine liberated learning and living. Welcome, Chimay. We're so super excited to have you on the podcast. And um, can you just introduce yourself a little bit to everyone that's listening so they know the amazing human that they're going to hear for the next however long? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for you guys having me here today. I am the founder and space holder of My Reflection Matters Village. So um, do you want me to jump in and share what that is? Yes, yes please. <laughs> All right, so for folks that are hearing about the village for the first time, My Reflection Matters Village is a virtual co-learning community for parents and educators that are really interested in getting access to the supports, conversations, healing um, that I believe are required to support us in decolonizing how we think about education. So in this space, we do center the identities of Black, Indigenous, and other folks of color, um, but it is open to anyone that um, is just interested in our mission, aligned with our values. Um, And yeah, we have an amazing community that launched after the pandemic. So My Reflection Matters (laughs) existed before the pandemic. We um, had a physical self-directed learning cooperative um, here um, on Pagaset land, Waterbury, Connecticut. And, you know, as everything else in the pandemic hit, um, it forced us to start thinking about how we continue to, um, you know, maintain the relationships that we have in our BIPOC-centered, self-directed education learning community. So our co-op began to go virtual, but then we opened it up you know, once you're virtual, right, it gives you the opportunity to be like, hey, I remember lots of folks, you know, reaching out to me in emails or in Facebook saying, oh, we're interested, but I live too far. And so I thought, oh, this is an opportunity to open this up, you know, to a larger community. And hence, then the virtual village was born. Um, You know, as I began to navigate the self-directed learning world, I realized really quickly that, um, you know, this was just like in the public and private school system, very white centric. And so just like many folks like myself that are diving into this for the first time, we usually, um, I feel like the common thread in terms of how we all connect is through Akila S. Richards, right? Mm-hmm. The Fair, the Free Child podcast. And so just being able to see a black woman, a Caribbean woman who's talking about this lifestyle that um, really was resonating for me and my family just was really powerful and really um, was what and gave me the push to start, you know, reimagining education outside of the conventional ways that we have been trained to think education should only exist. So that's the village. It's <laughs> an amazing village. Um, we're lucky and blessed enough to be a part of, of it. And 
just seeing the care that folks have for one another and the support, like you said, I think, especially nowadays, like that need for, for community, for connection is so important. And I was wondering when I was listening to you, like if you could um, explain also like what, what needs is the village meeting for people? Why is it important that you exist? That's such a great question. So what I've been observing in the last, now in August, we'll be reaching our second year in the virtual land. <laughs> and um, number one is community. That's people come here because they're hungry for community. What I'm finding is that we have a mix of folks who are, we have some BIPOC members who are living in spaces and physical environments where they are the only ones in that environment, right? Um, they're struggling to find or build a physical community with other BIPOC uh, families that are also um, wanting, you know, to um, adopt a more self-directed learning lifestyle. And so we have members that, I mean, I've had members tell me point blank, this is my the only community I have. We wow. don't have a physical community. Like this is it for us. Yeah. And then we have other members who have physical communities. Maybe they're part of a co-op. Some have started co-ops um, throughout their journey in the village. Um, some might be a part of an agile learning center or a Sudbury school and, or their kids might actually be at a Montessori school, but they're here because, uh, you know, they believe in a self-directed life. And I keep saying lifestyle because it's not just about education. I know that you both know and understand that, but for yeah. folks who are just hearing this for the first time, if you're thinking about self-directed directed education, I always tell, um, you know, new parents or new educators that you have to be prepared to really embrace this as a lifestyle. <laughs> if it's going yes. to, to really- like Pumping work. up my hands to me. I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I was saying, yeah, in addition to the, like the community, we also have, um, you know, BIPOC members that are feeling just isolated. Well, I mentioned that, that they're feeling isolated. That's why they're looking for community. But I mean, in the sense that they're looking to feel affirmed, they're looking to be in a, in a space where they're, you know, they can see themselves. They can see other parents that look like them. They can talk and speak with folks that share similar cultures and values. Um, but also people are looking for confirmation that they're not crazy, you know, like that is, I mean, there's community and also like, I want to, I need to be with people that remind me every day that I'm on the right path. Um, because we often get messages, whether it's from family matter, family members, friends, society, the media that are telling us that what we're doing is gonna hurt our kids, that what we're doing isn't normal, that what we're doing is just too radical. So I find that members are looking for a lot of that. You know, um, They wanna feel affirmed and reminded that this is where we're supposed to be, you know? Yeah, yeah. and not to be alone, which is so important. I mean, that mm -hmm. has been part of, of our struggle also down here in Mexico, like feeling really, really alone, like no one understanding what we're doing or why we're doing it. But um, so, yeah, we can relate. I would love to hear more about what your kind of 
de-schooling because that's what we call it right like de-schooling yeah. process has been um like what your journey has been in terms of unlearning and relearning and how you even got into this work you know the de-schooling which i don't separate that from the decolonization process right for me those are two things they're, they're like the same thing you can't de-school without decolonizing right and decolonizing by default we are de-schooling <laughs> right like i think those two things are like the same so it's not something that happens overnight and it doesn't end it's it is constant conscious liberating work right so this has been a gradual process in my life and you know when we were taught when you were asking me the question before of like what is it that members are looking for here uh, you know, a lot of our members are coming here too because they want to decolonize, you know, like they want support de-schooling and decolonizing how they think about education, parenting, and living. And so for me, this has been a gradual process. There's no end to it. You know, this isn't like, oh, to de-school, here are these 10 steps, and then you're done. <laughs> it really is a lifelong process conscious practice of untangling and questioning all the things you know Akilah says that all the time mad question asking I mean it really is schooling was the first sort of like bucket or area in our life that we began to question you know Shane and I and I think there were other things we were sort of questioning but I feel like school was like the big thing right because our son Judah was physically rejecting pre-K at like four years old. I think he was four at that time or three and a half or four. And physically meaning like he was trying to kick the door down, like wrangling teachers to get out of the classroom. And that lasted for three days because we were like, what are we doing to our child? Like we literally looked at each other and said like, so who said we had to do this thing mm -hmm. called school? And then that, you know, well then the rest is history. You just start doing your research, start meeting with people that have been living this life way longer than like, you know, people even know the words existed. And it becomes a very gradual shift in your life. And as you're shifting how you think about education, naturally, you start to shift how you think about your parenting, right? Because if you're talking about anti-oppressive educational practices, it forces you to look at how do I actually mimic or replicate some of those practices in my parenting, right? If we're saying that punishment in a school system is oppressive, but then I go home, yell and hit my kids, right? Well then how is, how is that in alignment, right? How is that in alignment with the self-directed learning philosophy? And then you start to question spirituality. Then you start to question your eating habits. You just really start to question all of the things but it doesn't necessarily happen all at once. Um, and it also doesn't necessarily happen in these like finite buckets. It's just all sort of like happening in a very messy and organic way. <laughs> yeah. That it's makes like a beautiful chaos, <laughs> beautiful and painful. Um, and, it, and I've accepted as an, as a, it's part of my personal evolution as a human being, right? Like it will always be a part of my evolution until I'm physically not on this planet. And then it gets passed on to, to your kids, right? You know, yeah. they're learning new tools 
anti-oppressive tools that um, hopefully they'll carry on, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I, I never cease to um, just like marvel at the process because it's this thing mm-hmm. we're never done. No. Never done. And it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And as you started by saying, it's like it starts with questioning the, the school system. And then we start questioning our parenting and then we start questioning our eating habits or what, how we're living, like yes. how much time we put into work, what kind of work we're yeah. doing. And I'm not saying it's easy, any of this, because it also, it requires, I think, so much courage to go against the stream. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's and I not- think that that's why communities um, like My Reflection Matters that, you know, are holding space for folks to find other like-minded people, um, especially mm-hmm. when when there aren't so many spaces that are safe, you know, especially for people of color and, you mm-hmm. know, a marginalized um, groups to have a safe space where it is by POC only, you know, like this is a space where we can, you know, come together and, and talk is, is super important. And I want to say like, we, you know, people that are not of color, like, I find um, kind of get afraid sometimes to talk about these topics because, Mm. you know, we don't want to like mess up or say the wrong thing or, you know, which is, is valid. Um, But I think you use, you know, the the term decolonizing. And I think it's something that is really important for everyone to acknowledge that this work, like any work of healing, any work of reimagining life, education, all the things that both you and Becca have mentioned is decolonizing work because it's like, we have to question why we started doing things a certain way in the first place Mm -hmm. and who has been benefited and change that. And so it's not just, let me not send my kid to school. It's deep social justice work. Yeah, it really is. Um, And and you can't do this work without community, right? So like, like I know I'm the founder of the space, right? That's a term that is often used with me as, as mm-hmm. a village. But, you know, I also said I'm, I'm the space holder because I do see that as my role in this community. I, one, don't know all the things, don't claim to know all the things, don't want to know necessarily how to do all the things, right? And in this community, you know, we have so many different folks that are supporting all of us, and I'm including myself in that, in this process. They're supporting all of us in the decolonization process. And that's the heart, I believe, of the work and support of the village and purpose of it. You know, like, you know, we're healing, education and liberation are at the intersection. You know, that's where it exists here in the village. Uh, You know, self-directed learning, if you really wanna dive into that, you can't do that without really also being intentional and, you know, I just feel so abundantly grateful for the members and the other partners that have um, been in our space offering, you know, providing these amazing offerings to support us in the decolonization process. And it really does take community. You can't, you can't just say, oh, yeah, we're going to do this SDE thing and then do it in isolation. That's not how that works, right? Like for me, the heart of self-directed education is that it happens in community, you know, with 
people that you have relationships with. And that looks different for everybody else. You know, you know, I can't define how that that community and relationship works. You know, relationship piece looks like it's going to look different in every community. But I do believe at the heart of it, uh, you know, it is about relationships. We question the school system a lot. I know that you do for sure. And I think that sometimes I'm still like really surprised when I realize that most people don't seem to question the school system. So I would love to hear your take on it. Like, why do we have to question the school system? You know, the school system is still based on a very antiquated factory model, model, right? And that factory model of like, you know, we have these inputs and outputs. We input this information into people's brains. They graduate and leave, and then they produce for us, you know? And when I say us, really, I'm not included in that us because that's like the very small percentage of the elite, elite, you know, people who run, you know, the country and the world, right? Um, they created the system of schooling so that the, you know, the everyday working class folks can continue to produce for them at a really low cost um, and continue to maintain their wealth in this country. So that model still exists. I mean, it's morphed and shaped and reshaped itself, you know, throughout the years, but at its very, very deepest root, it's the same. And so, you know, we really can't be free people <laughs> if we continue to just accept the way things are. And it doesn't mean we still can't even like work within those systems, maybe even be educated in those systems to some degree. It doesn't mean that we can't even, you know, because I'm even thinking about money, right? Like, yeah. you know, money, even just the idea of using that and the way it's used, it's so tied to capitalism, but like it's still here and it's, and it's still a tool that we have to use, right? Like my mortgage company isn't going to tomorrow say when I, if I tell them I'm not going to use money anymore and I, I'd rather barter services. I mean, they'll take my home away, right? Like, like what? That's not going to happen. So like, I get that. That's very real. Um, I get, we can't just go and tell a bunch of families, take your kids out and, and, and divest from the school system. And I'm including private in there because some people assume we're just talking public. No, I'm talking both public and private <laughs> schooling there, you know, um, that can't happen. It would be really irresponsible. But what I do think can happen is that we can have two things happening at this. We can have multiple things happening at the same time. We could have people that are working within the system, recognize the parts of it that are super oppressive and work really hard to push against it and to create more equitable ways in which it shows up and supports young people. And that equity work is the harm reduction work, right? It's the crisis work, right? We need people to do that. I did that work for a long time. But as I began, you know, we, you know, decided to go into home education, specifically unschooling, and started, you know, hanging out with people that were doing learning in a completely different way. I recognized, like, okay, I don't know if this is the place for me anymore. And the liberation work that I believe happens outside of the system and can only, in my opinion, I don't believe the liberation work can fully 
happen within the system. I think there are pieces of liberation work that we can integrate in a system that's designed to oppress, but remember it's designed to oppress. Right. <laughs> it's never gonna allow anyone to be fully free. So how does that show up? It shows up with like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll allow, you know, more, you know, we'll allow students to have like, you know, a social justice group, right? But the liberation work, like for them to like maybe take over how curriculum is being developed, to, to really have a full say and what they want to experience in this place, uh, there's going to be limitations around that, right? Um, so I just, it's complex. It's layered. I, I, I think everyone, I don't like the village for me is in a place where we're trying to proselytize or force people like, how come you don't see it this way? You have to see it this way. I see really myself in this community as we are here, the space is here, the learning opportunity exists. And when you feel ready to, to, to join the conversation, like we're, we're here with open arms to welcome you, but I'm not here to force you to walk this path, but I'm here and willing to walk with you when you're willing to, to take the journey, you know? I love what you're saying to me about like liberation can't fully happen in the system because you're still, and I guess that's where the, the, the mad question asking happens right like if you're in the system still being like still operating under somebody else's you know question mark who that is <laughs> that's the yeah. question to ask but somebody else's expectations somebody else's ideal of what should be or how we should be then there's like we can't be our full selves never and so I think um, I would love to, to talk a little bit about like your on the ground community as well, because I know you mm -hmm. guys meet in person. And I think, um, you know, being leaders of, of uh, in-person organization or community, rather, um, there are, I think, different challenges that people face, too, in, in, in building community and in supporting people like on the ground, because I think like a virtual community, people kind of can opt in, right? Like when they need yes. support, they'll come, I, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. um, but when you're on the ground, like day to day, I, I'm, I'm curious if you see differences in that, if you see different challenges that people are, are facing um, as they're building on the ground communities. Yeah, you know, one of the first challenges that I noticed before we launched the village virtually, when we just had the physical SDE cooperative, is that while as a community of caregivers um, against majority, again, you know, majority BIPOC caregivers, but definitely all BIPOC families. So we had also interracial families. I remember having a conversation with another member about this noticing we were both having was that we're all here because we want, we're saying that we want this liberated educational lifestyle, right? For our kids, for our families. But at the same time, we're saying, yes, liberation, yes, decolonization, but do we really even know what that looks like and means, right? Like what are the parts of us that we don't even see still need healing? 
we started recognizing like what are the parts of ourselves as parents that need healing from white supremacy and colonization and so this is happening right before the pandemic you know i started thinking or brainstorming like maybe we need to have learning opportunities workshops things where we can like unpack some of this boom pandemic hits but it was a beautiful thing that was born out of the pandemic this village because the village allowed me to create that learning space for us to do some of that so a lot of the offerings in our community some members may see in our in our network but many of them are private in our co-learning for liberation membership and some on our decolonizing ed membership you know the learning opportunities the guests we invite the conversations that we're having the courses that are offered um yeah they're in they're they are informed well one they are informed by our community they're informed by our, our virtual community but also partly informed by our by our physical community you know the things that we're still grappling with so like we have this physical group but still as members still struggling like you know with just the idea that let's see i'm just even thinking like curriculum the idea that my kid can have you know can learn math or reading without using a curriculum so we have some members in our physical community that like they sort of figured that out others that are still like grappling and i'm struggling with this because i want to sit down and force them to do this like written activity but then we get into a fight we have some members that'll share like i'm still struggling with like how much freedom is too much freedom right like how do we create boundaries because i think I think what happens when we're starting to do something so radically different than our own parenting is sometimes we can go to the other extreme. We're like, well, you know, my parents control me all the time, so therefore I'm going to not control anything in my household. Well, no one's saying one that you you have to uh, that you don't have to have control of something, right? Like we can control how we as a family. Um, create boundaries together, right? Control can be shared and control doesn't have to be oppressive. <laughs> I think we, we connect control to like, you know, oh my God, that's oppressive. Well, we control our happiness and I don't think there's anything oppressive with controlling my happiness, <laughs> right? Um, but we shouldn't control people's oppression. And I think those are two very different things. So, so yeah, like those are things that we're talking about as parents in our community, like, you know, how much, how we create boundaries, how are we um, creating boundaries for our own bodies, but also um, respecting the boundaries that our kids are trying to um, create for themselves. So, you know, once you find community, um, which I, you know, is like, I, I'm saying is just the biggest challenge for a lot of folks, right? That's the biggest challenge, just finding a like-minded community. But once you find each other, it, it's it's going to continue to be an evolving roller coaster ride <laughs> journey, because you're going to have moments that are just feel so easy together as a, as a community, and there are going to be other moments where you're like, I don't know, you know, like we're, there's a moment now where you know, like some members in our community. I think wouldn't mind having our cooperative meet up um, four or five days a week. And then we have others like my own family where that would feel too much or feel too restrictive, right? So, you know, but but we're figuring it out. Holding space and through dialogue, I would imagine. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And also like reminding ourselves that no one's here to define SDE for your family. Like we can have multiple ways in which all of our families, while we might all come together, you know, how that's showing up for each of us can still be very different. And like the purpose of our co-op isn't to make a cookie cutter model, (laughs) you know, that's not the point. Like we can agree to have, to show, for SDE to show up just differently based on the unique needs of of families. Beautiful. God, I wish the world could look like that. (laughs) Little by little. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Through these communities. Um, Another question for you, Chimay, like you're holding and you wear a lot of hats. You are dynamite. And um, how do you like burnout is something real, right? For leaders in this movement. Um, How how do you self-care? Like how how do you, yeah, how do you keep going? Because like you said, there are days that are like really awesome and great and things are jiving. And then there are days where it's not so, it's not rainbows and roses, you know? Yeah. You know, something that I've, I've had to normalize in the village and continue to like, it's in this normalization is evolving because it's still so new is that there are going to be times where I'm not going to show up in the village, but the community doesn't, isn't, does not revolve around me. <laughs> right? Like, you know, there have been times where, well, even just recently, like there was, you know, the tragic death of my of my cousin, the sudden death of my cousin, which meant like, hey, y'all, I'm not going to be here for the next week, right? I'm not asking permission to leave. You know, I'm not going to apologize for leaving. I'm just going to say, I need this time to be with family and, you know, and you all have this community and space to continue to meet up with each other, to continue to check in with each other, to continue to share resources, um, et cetera, et cetera. And like, people are like, yes, you know, like you need to do that. Absolutely. And I think that's the beautiful thing about this space, but like you have to, as a leader, normalize that. Right. And I think in the beginning it's hard because you want to say, I'm sorry, but I have to do this thing. Or like, you want to like ask permission because that's how we've been colonized to think, right? Like raise your hand and ask to go to the bathroom. You can't just get up and meet your needs without, you know, um, at work, I have to ask permission for time off. I can't just say I'm taking next week off because I need that. Right. So I am intentionally trying to shift how I talk about the time that I need for myself, whether it's for my own healing, whether it's for my own joy with, you know, time with family um, and not, you know, not apologizing for it. Um, and, you know, the, like I said, that the village the, folks have just been absolutely amazing. I mean, last summer I took, I think it was all of July off and I said, all right, y'all, I'm going to be out of here in the July now doesn't mean, you know, so July means I'm not going to be producing new content. There's content in the village. There's tons of content that I shared that others have shared, created. And so I just said, this is an opportunity for folks that, you know, if you haven't had a time to catch up on the amazing content that's been shared in our community, 
use this time to catch up on the recordings of events that we've had, to read some of the uh, reflections that I've shared or reflections that other folks have shared. Um, but I'm taking time off to be with my family this month because I need to. <laughs> You know, you know, the word that comes to my mind is groundbreaking. <laughs> because I think that we all should be doing this. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely relate to what you're saying about like not being able to, to do that or, or having that colonized mindset of I need to ask permission. You know, I worked for corporate America for four years of my life, like mm. the most painful four years. And it definitely drilled in that, like, my life didn't belong to me, you know, like it, mm. it was like my, my, the outcome of, of like, I amounted to my, what I can produce basically. And so I think yeah. building a culture and building a community that is based on honesty as well, and being able to show up when you're not so on you know like you when when you yeah. need the space to ask for it or not ask for it but like to share you know this is this is what's going on for me this is what I need you know um and I think mm -hmm. something that we've we've realized in our journeys and also have been doing a lot of work around um in the work we're doing with radical learning is really understanding the needs behind the needs behind anything like every all of us have different needs and if we're not in a space where we are sharing what is happening for us on a personal level and we're just showing up as the professional face one we're not being dis we're, we're not being honest we're being dishonest with ourselves and with others and we're also not practicing what we're preaching we're not walking the talk yeah so, i really appreciate what you're saying and um, i'm really glad to hear that people have been so supportive of you yeah, that's amazing. They really have, and, and again, it goes back to creating that culture and being intentional around it. It's the part for me that's the most challenging is that you feel guilt sometimes. You know, you feel guilt like, oh, I'm, I'm going to take a month off and people are paying their monthly membership here. You know, like I remember having that conversation with myself. And then also having the conversation with myself, but wait a minute, how can you claim that we're in a space where we're trying to decolonize our lifestyle, but yet you still hold on to this very like capitalistic idea of like produce, 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 you know, I have to produce like yeah. this is an opportunity to, to change this, to change the narrative, to normalize something completely radically different and is in aligned with our values here in the village. So I'm not going to say it's easy because you do, you start to feel this. I was, I remember feeling some of this guilt, but it becomes easier the more you do it. And you are really create. It is by doing it that, that the culture shift happens. Yes. So, and people normalize, they realize, you know what? I can pay someone my membership and still feel good about paying this membership this month, even though they're not producing new content. Right. Uh, because I know that when the per this person shows back up in the space, like they're a hundred percent here, right? <laughs> because you genuinely care, like part of being in a community or being part of the village is actually caring for one another. So it's like, if somebody's off, yeah. you want to like, that's part of the shift that I think as a society we need to make, you know, where we're not, like you're saying, focused on the outcome and the product. 
or what we're getting from people. It's like the connection, the relationship, you know, how is this human actually doing like living our lives together, not just yeah, mindlessly showing up. Right. It's, it goes back to value. When I hear you saying that I'm thinking of value, like when people feel what they're paying into is valuable, right? It isn't so much about like this formula of you have to produce this much posts and this much content per month, per week, right? Um, it's really about the essence and what people are feeling when they come there. They feel connected. They feel like what they do come in and get is of value to them. Yeah, it reminds me of that Maya Angelou quote. I don't know it exactly word for word, but where she said, you know, people always forget what you've said. People always forget what you've done, but they'll never forget how they made you feel. Yeah. How them feel rather. That's, that's, that's it. You know, it's like, how are you relating to one another? Jimmy, I have one last question. Well, I have so yeah. many questions, but <laughs> we don't have time for all of them. <laughs> well, can, we have, can we have you on again in the future? Oh my God, of course. <laughs> Um, but one question I do have is just like how you have two boys, right? Mm -hmm. How are they doing like with unschooling? What's their journey like? Um, I feel like us parents, we spend a lot of time talking about like our own de-schooling process, um, yeah. but our kids have their own <laughs> process. And sometimes it could be challenging, very challenging um, as yes. for us, but yeah. How are they doing in, in their, in their journey? You know, my kids are just, evolving you know so beautifully in ways that I just didn't even know were possible right because um I just didn't grow up in this way um I didn't experience learning in this way um and it's not to say that I'm not trying to say like my childhood <laughs> was a bad childhood right um, I have, I, I'm, I mean, I'm here also partly because of the childhood I had, you know, and the parents that I had and a mom who pushed us to question things, right? Um, so I'm thankful for that experience, but I never had the kind of learning experience my kids are having now where they have the freedom to choose you know, the things that they are interested in wanting to learn more about. They have the freedom to explore and dive into things without there being limitations around time. Um, they have the freedom to really hone in and like master skills that they are really, really passionate about. Like my, both my kids are athletic and, um, my kids spend hours every day <laughs> outside. They're either outside playing with the ball, playing baseball, practicing, practicing, right? Or they're outside, you know, exploring nature, um, which is also another passion of theirs, right? So I just love how seeing them have this freedom to do all these things. And then also, the exciting part is, I mean, all that is exciting, but the, the really interesting part of it, especially as a former classroom teacher, is seeing how naturally the academic skills of like reading, writing, and math organically develop 
as yeah. they dive into those passions, right? It's amazing. <laughs> it's truly amazing. It's amazing. And it doesn't happen in this cookie cutter, very sequential way that I was trained to teach, you know, reading and writing, right? Like it happens in the most messy, <laughs> fluid way that you can't even, you know, I mean, you all know, you see it with your kids and other people's kids. Like yeah. it's freaking amazing. Like I, I sometimes think, oh man. When they need it. What was that? When it makes sense. Yeah, they learn it when they need it. Yes, absolutely. And they learn it. We when don't they... even realize that it's happening. Absolutely. You're so, so, so right about that. So, and it's still like, you know, I have my schoolish moments. Don't get me wrong. They come and they come and go like hot flashes. <laughs> they come when you don't want them to come. <laughs> and so they happen. I get my moments where I start to compare. I start to think, oh my God, you know, my kid's now turning 10 and like, are they reading and writing like a 10? Do they understand math the way they're supposed to? You know, like I have those very, very schoolish moments, but that is why community is important because community helps to ground you. Mm. You know, your people help ground you. They help you to remember why you're doing this, why this is important. Um, they help you to reconnect with your intuition, right? Because your intuition is what leads you here. Like we're here because something inside of us pulled us here. <laughs> You know, so yeah, I'm just really proud of my kids. And I think the most, you know, the thing that I'm most proud of is that at the end of the day, my kids, from what I see, know that they have full autonomy over their bodies. They know that they're in control of their lives and that no one is the boss of their life. Only they are. And that is the thing that I'm most proud of at the end of the day. Yeah, same here. Yeah, I, I mm -hmm. third that too. It's like what you were saying about those hot flashes, those schoolish hot flashes. It's like <laughs> one, of, one of the best ways to snap out of them is is my son's side. Like he's he will remind me real fast, like, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> yes, my kids remind me that, especially my youngest. <laughs> for reminding me i'm gonna go step over there now <laughs> <laughs> drink my tea <laughs> yeah. oh it's so great well, thank, thank you, you so, much. so much for this this has been a wonderful session we often hear parents say that they treat their kids like adults and believe us we've done it ourselves but why do we do that and should we really? In the next episode of Radical Learning Talks, we talk about the pitfalls of treating kids like adults. Stay tuned.